Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Jeanette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Well, I am just coming off a fabulous week of vacation where I totally rejuvenated, refreshed, slept, exercised, enjoyed the sunshine. Oh, it was great. Uh, You need that so much sometimes. You just... Uh, you can't keep pushing 100%, 200% all the time. You have got to find those moments in whatever is meaningful to you. For me, it was walking by the ocean. Love the ocean. It reminds me of growing up. And so it brings me back to very happy days. And, you know, other for other people, it'll be something different. Maybe it's a cabin in the mountains. Maybe you can't get away on vacation, but you do a staycation and you find a way to just put it all aside for a few minutes, an hour, a couple hours, whatever you can get. I never used to do this. And by the time my daughter Elizabeth was in her teenage years, I was running on fumes, fumes. I was not my best self. I can tell you that right now. And it was really challenging because I couldn't think my way out of this problem, this issue. I was so much on the treadmill day to day that I, I couldn't plan out of it. You know, I couldn't. And for me, that that was an exceptional moment when I couldn't plan my way out of something. So I don't know how to inspire you to take a breath and a moment for yourself and your family, but the true importance of this is because this is a marathon and not a sprint. We've all heard that expression. It's so damn true. It just is. Um, I have a wonderful guest today, and it's another one of our our sessions are where we just tell our stories. And I meet so many wonderful people who have been able to tell their story. The importance of this, I know, is not lost on you. It's not just, oh, great, here's another inspirational story. You know how much I love that word, inspiration. Um, No, this is motivation. These are folks who have you know, they're, they're tackling adversity. They have figured out how to live their best life and they have something to share with all of us. And so this episode is no different. Kelly Speck, what an amazing person. <laughs> I feel like um, when I spoke with her that she is somebody who I would have definitely become fast friends with if I had met her in a different universe. Um, She's funny, she's charming, and she is so sweet. Um, And somebody to really look up to. And if you listen to what she's got to say in her book, you will be motivated to live your best life as she and her family are. So, um, Kelly was a typical type A plus hustler and um, really thought that she was going to have it all, like so many of us, right? She considers herself 
a recovering type A planner. She um, still works, has a strong marriage to Travis, who was her college sweetheart, and they have three children. So uh, it's funny that her friends in high school voted her the most likely to drive a minivan. (laughs) And she said, that's never going to happen. But now she owns not one, but two minivans. And her favorite one has a ramp in it for her oldest son, Bennett, who's a quad. And um, she just considers it her greatest honor to serve as the chauffeur for Bennett and his two younger siblings. So she wrote in her book about her life and the challenges of caregiving for Bennett and her two other children, because we all know that siblings are, you know, they're part of the family too, and they deserve as much energy and support as our special needs kids. Kelly's mantra is life is not always easy, but it is always beautiful. And she talks about beautiful moments in this book. In our episode, we discussed um, what inspired her to, to share her story and, and write this book and talked about things that are so important. They come up so often in our community guilt and shame and frustration and anger and the constant worry that goes along with this job. And then, you know, where do, where do you find support? What are the challenges that you're facing? And of course, what are the lessons that she learned along the way in her life? Um, it's really interesting. And, um, She actually told me about another great um, interview that I want to do, which is Bob Denver's wife, Dreema. So I would love to um, chat with her someday about the same thing, telling our story. So listen, Kelly Speck's book is called Hope in the Heartache. It's getting rave, rave, rave reviews Um, A Journey of Grace and Growth with a Special Needs Child. I encourage you so much to connect with Kelly, to grab the book. It's a great summer read. Um, And, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, all rainbows and unicorns throughout the whole book, but it is full of beautiful moments. And I think that it will motivate you to live your best life. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed interviewing Kelly and talking with her. I could just picture myself sitting on the front porch with a cup of coffee or any other beverage of our choice and just shooting the breeze with Kelly. She's, she's my kind of people and I think she'll be yours. So enjoy this interview. Please, as always, let me know what you think. Ratings and reviews are so important and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Here today with my sister, Kelly Speck, not really my sister, but I swear to God, hand to the sky, that when I started reading about her and her family, it just felt so familiar. (laughs) Um, This is a story that many of you will resonate with, I know. And Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. So happy to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm truly delighted and honored. And I literally thought the same thing as I was reading your book. I was like, 
I honestly first thought, does she think I plagiarized? Cause you wrote your book before mine. And I, and I, it, it crossed my mind because I, our experiences are, have a few differences, but oh my gosh, like, yes. Yeah. Especially the beginning part of the journey. And you know, the thing is Kelly, the, the goodness in you that caused you to write this book. And we're going to talk about that where our stories are not singular. There are so many people out there with our stories or with similar stories. And this is why we tell stories on this podcast. And this is why we write our books. So Kelly's book, I know I introduced it to, to you in my intro, but her book is Hope in the Heartache, A Journey of Grace and Growth with a Special Needs Child. So when I started, I, I have to tell you, it was truly like a goosebumps moment because, um, and I want you to kind of talk about that a little bit, but in the beginning, the, the journey of your son, Bennett, and my daughter, Elizabeth, were so... And there were a few differences, but it was so very similar. So Kelly, why don't you introduce us a little bit to your family and the beginning of your start on this parenting journey? Definitely. I'd be honored to. Um, My name is Kelly Speck. I am married to my husband, Travis, and we have been married just over 22 years. And we live um, in Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. Bennett, our special needs child, was our first child. Um, He is now almost 15. He was born in August of 2007. Um, and then we now also have an 11 year old son, Jackson, and a nine year old daughter, Reagan. Um, and, you know, to be honest, um, we were two type A planners. We had graduated from college. We um, were working hard in our professions. You know, we were volunteering at the soup kitchen, active in our church, like, you know, trying to save as much money as we could for that first house. Just really responsible, boring people, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we had no social life really, or not, you know, wild nightlife at all. Um, we were just two control freaks, basically trying to be responsible. And and you know, just we got pregnant. We were so excited. We'd been married seven years, so I will say that was a huge blessing in our journey because we had had time alone. We got pregnant kind of quicker than I even expected. I had a lot of friends who dealt with um, infertility and we found out he was a little boy and it was just almost felt too good to be true. I remember thinking this is too good to be true. And, um, I, the pregnancy was pretty much textbook and I, I was doing prenatal yoga. I was, you know, taking my prenatal vitamins, um, going to all my appointments. And I'd gone to a, a, my last, what I thought was my last appointment. I was like 38, um, weeks and four days. And the doctor was like, you're, you know, you're already like at a two, it's looking like things are going to happen any minute, be ready. And I was like, we're ready. I'd taken all the classes, you know, <laughs> all the planner things, right. Read yes. all the books, I've washed all the baby clothes there. Everything was folded, draft, you name it. I'd gotten everything all set. And um, <laughs> then I basically wasn't feeling really great on um, the Sunday before Bennett was born. And my husband had just said, why don't you stay home? And he actually was out that day and then came back he could just tell it was a little peaked and he was like, let's go get some Tex-Mex, you know, my favorite type of food. And so we went and I remember eating and trying to put on a happy face, but just like something within me didn't feel good. And, um, I remember getting in the car that night thinking, should I go to the hospital? But also on all my mommy blogs, I had read all the false labor things and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to go to the hospital, just be turned around for false labor. And so, you know, I just, you know, looking back, obviously could have, should have, would have, but we went home. Um, he, my husband fell asleep because he is not a night owl and passed <laughs> out. And I just wasn't at rest. And so I was laying, trying to read and just like get myself kind of 
situated. I took my fever and I had a low grade, I took my temperature, I'm sorry, and I had a low grade fever and immediately got on the internet, started Googling, you know, what to do if you're pregnant with a fever and they said, call your doctor. So I called my doctor and they said, you know, it was low grade. It was like, you know, hundred, hundred 100.1 or something. And so they were like, just monitor it, take some Tylenol, come see us in the morning. And I was like, okay. So that's like 11 PM. Well, right around a little after midnight, my water broke, like full on broke, like all over our futon and pottery barn rug. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So I called the doctor back and they're like, okay, well then you need to come in. (laughs) You don't wait till tomorrow. So I woke my husband up and you know, this is our first baby. So I thought I was having contractions looking back. I don't even know if I was truly, but, um, you know, I'm breathing in the car to the hospital. We get there and like, are you sure your water broke? I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Why is there a wet towel, you know, between my legs right now? And, um, they basically let me labor through the night. And, um, about as the sun was coming up six, six thirty AM, they said, you know what, but I, or they didn't even know his name. The baby's not looking really happy with each contraction. His heart rate's going up. So we're, we think we want to go ahead and do a C-section. And to be honest, I read in your book that you didn't want a C-section, but I kind of was used to it because my mom had had three C-sections. So I didn't even put up a fuss. I was like, sure, like do whatever you got to do. I mean, that wasn't in my quote unquote birth plan, but like whatever. And so they got me ready and it wasn't, I mean, it was considered an emergency C-section, but as I was reading your book, I mean, yours was truly like ripped your clothes off, stuck you in. Um, ours, I mean, everything was not slow moving, but it definitely wasn't a hurried pace, I would say. Yeah. And, um, by seven 38, they got me into the operating room and basically they opened me up and, um, the room was quiet, which I know you can relate to. And yeah. I just remember thinking, I don't hear a baby crying and you could just feel the tense air, right? You could just cut the tension with the knife in, in the operating room. And my husband's kind of peeking over the curtain. And I just remember thinking, what is going on? And then, you know, rustling, 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 what rustling. And this nurse just, I guess they had wound Bennett up into a blanket and she said, here's your baby. And she ran out the door. Um, and that just began. Exactly my life too. <laughs> yeah. I remember that so well. And I guess I've heard they want to show you the baby in case something happens between there and the NICU. You, you know, you can, the mother could at least say, well, I saw my baby, you know. But um, so then, then for us became a 70 day NICU journey. I think yours was six weeks. Mine was seven weeks. Is that right? You were in the NICU. Nine right? weeks. Oh, you're, oh, nine. Oh, I'm sorry. And I was nine. 10 weeks. You're right. You're right. I was like, I think you're one week less than us. But, you know, to be honest that we were at the, what we thought was quote unquote, you know, five-star hospital and have a baby. You might even get a massage in, in the recovery room. But um, immediately they said, we cannot support this baby. His lungs are full of pneumonia his APGAR scores were super, super low and we need to get him to a, a, a next level up NICU. And so they said, you know, dad, do you want to come with the baby or stay home with mom? Stay in the hospital with mom. And, you know, my husband and I, two first time parents, were just looking at each other and like, well, obviously go with the baby, you know, and my mom was there to stay with me. And so yeah. um, they said, okay, well, he needs to go. He needs to be on a cooling blanket. They were afraid, you know, he may have had an oxygen depletion in utero, um, you know, because he his lungs were so full of pneumonia. And so they just, I remember the transport team came and I saw what looked like to be a white clear coffin on wheels, you know, and yeah. there was this little baby, um, you know, bundled up in there and they said, wave to wave to mom, you know, here we go. Say bye mom. And I just remember staring out, just waving goodbye to my baby as he um, headed to the next hospital, a couple miles down the road. So you know, it was extremely traumatic on every level. And we didn't even know, you know, as you know, you're in pure survival mode as every sure. family watching this knows. 
Um, and so it just began a, you know, the biggest soap opera roller coaster, you know, every <laughs> cliche you can use um, was our experience. And it, at times the NICU was a complete horror movie um, because Bennett was on a blood thinner because he was on an ECMO machine, which a lot of people are now familiar with because of COVID, unfortunately, but it's basically a life-saving machine that takes the blood out of your carotid artery, oxygenates it and puts it back in. But blood, you know, should be contained within the body and machine. But as um, Bennett needed the machine much longer than normal, 16 days, which is pretty long, at least in 2007, that was long for a newborn. So by the end of ECMO, um, he was basically just bleeding out of every open line and they were giving him blood transfusion after blood transfusion after blood transfusion. And it, it, they weren't able to keep up with, he had chest tubes, blood was pouring out. I mean, it was, it was, it was just a look like a crime scene. And so at that point we were told by the doctors, we were doing everything we can, but we, we've got to take him off this ECMO machine. And we just don't think his lungs are going to be able to handle the jet ventilator. And so we said, okay, we get it, take him off, but we're just going to ask people to pray. And at that point we didn't have social media. I didn't even text. I was such a grandma. I mean, I had a flip phone and we're like, how do we tell the world? So we have like a little diddly a website we sent out like pray for baby Bennett in Washington, DC. And people did, you know, all faiths, all you name it. And, um, and they took him off ECMO and he lived and he survived the first 24 hours, which was like amazing. And they kept saying they were cautiously optimistic. And then basically 48 hours after coming off ECMO, his lungs just opened up. Like just, it was like one minute, the X, the chest X-ray was completely full of pneumonia. And the next day, they had finally opened up. And so, you know, the doctors were like, we've never seen anything like this. There's no medical explanation as to why this baby's still alive. We turned off the ventilator, you know, a couple of days later, we got to hold him for the first time, you know, just, and all of a sudden we were like, oh my goodness, like we might even get to bring him home. Cause as you talked about in your book, like, you know, going home from the hospital without your baby, it's just like, you know, it's so gutting in so many ways. And so we thought, oh my gosh, he, he may come home. We might get to put him in his little clothes and um, and so around day 40 is when they said, we're just going to do a quick MRI, you know, before we extubate him. Cause he was about to be extubated. He'd been on a breathing tube for 40 days. And, um, that MRI is what told us, oh man, we have, you know, significant brain damage. Um, and I think the last day of ECMO, uh, is what is when, um, he just, his brain didn't get enough blood. And so that was yet another blow, um, you yeah. know, and just so many feelings. We were thrilled. Our baby was alive and then bam oh my gosh, you know, just no way to prepare yourself for um, a quadriplegic cerebral palsy diagnosis. Yeah. I'm curious, did the um, medical professionals ever talk to you about what you might be facing before they did that MRI? No, they never went over the, you know, possibilities. They're just living for the moment. Right. And they're just doing one treatment after another, after another, but nobody's really talking to you about the long-term. No. And I, I don't know if it's because we had, I mean, we had gotten very close to our nurses and to the doctors. I mean, you know, you just do when you're living, as you know, like day in and day out with these people and you have your favorite nurses and the ones who are, you know, extra snuggly with your baby. Yeah. And um, so I think, I don't, I think everyone was hoping for the best, even though, you know, he was showing signs. I remember his little hands would be a little bit like this when, and not relaxed, you know, and I'm sure deep in their hearts because actually, um, seizure activity, there was one night where he appeared to have a seizure, but then they thought, you know, oh, maybe it was just a flu, you know, there was just looking back. It was like, okay, you know, this was, yeah. this kind of was obvious which way we were headed, but I don't think anyone wanted 
to believe it. And, you know, I just remember the social worker was trying to do her very best as a neurologist who did, had zero bedside manner. I mean, he was just like, here's the deal. Your baby has you know, significant brain damage. You know, here's what you can expect. He's not going to walk. He's not going to talk. You know, I mean, we were just like, he could not have been more. Yeah. Harsh. I got that lecture too, <laughs> which I get it. I know you, they don't want to give false hope, but I was like, wow. But so the social worker said, I, you know, I know this is very, very, very difficult news to absorb. In fact, this is the worst diagnosis that any parent can receive. And then I wanted to look at her and say, well, that is really not helpful either. You know, like it was like, bam, bam. And um, so that we left the hospital that day of day 40 in the NICU, you know, just completely raw and, um, Mm -hmm. and just sad and scared and grateful. I mean, every, every feeling imaginable as I'm sure you can relate to. And so then began our journey of grief, you know, acceptance, loss, yeah. you know, you name it. And, um, and that obviously journey continues, you know, it's not like you just get right. through it and then everything's all. all I find it amazing up. that nobody comes and says, Hey, you know, this is tough. This is a tough nut to swallow. However, there are so many people living wonderful lives out there and Bennett's going to be one of them. And you guys are going to figure this out as a family. There's, there's no propping up there. There's a lot of just what you said. There's the people who are sad for you and want to pat you on the back. And that's, that's fine. And then there are the very straightforward clinicians, doctors who are like, but there's nobody telling you what an amazing life you are going to have and can have. You need that. You need to hear that. And they never say it. I agree. I mean, parents desperately and loved ones desperately need to hear that. And I, I'm sure a lot of it is liability related. But then I also actually remember one of our neonatologists saying, you know, I've seen much worse MRIs and kids have done remarkably well. And then I've seen much better MRIs and the kids are much more compromised. You know, I think everyone was doing their best to like give a mm-hmm. word of hope, but I agree. Um, you know, the nurses, you know, tried to give comforting words. You know, one in particular said, you know, Bennett is exactly the little boy God intended him to be, which we agree with, you know, at the time it was just all sinking in and it's like, okay. And then she definitely said, you know, cling to each other because this is going to be a long road. I mean, you know, we've all heard it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, um, you know, the, the reality is, is a lot of marriages or relationships, you know, don't, don't make it. I mean, it's the stress level is so high as we all know. Yes. It's very extreme. We left the NICU with those sober realities. I mean, they definitely, I guess, did give us those. But, you know, we were, I mean, completely numb. I mean, it, it, PTSD doesn't even describe, you know, know, what our NICU really experience was like. And so, yeah. You just, you're experiencing so many emotions all at once. And they just continue on. And they live all at the same time. You're mad. You're sad. You're feeling guilty. You're ashamed that your life doesn't look like everybody else's. There's so many things. How do you navigate all of those layers of complex emotions? Yeah. I mean, I think we each, my husband and I obviously are so different. He is much more of an introvert and a, um, his feelings go stuffed down. And for me, I'm more of an extrovert and they come out. So, you know, I am sure talked my way out. You know, I remember sitting in with my mom after the MRI diagnosis, my mom, Kathy, who's talked about in the book, she's been a real rock for us. And, mm-hmm. and I did say to her, I just knew it was all too good to be true. Like I, 
told you, I, you know, I just said it all just was too easy, you know, getting pregnant, having, you know, a little boy, or, you know, our first love, you know, I knew it was too good to be true. You know, I, I was trying to make sense of it in my head, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had, I had a thriving career that came to a screeching halt. I mean, when Bennett came home from the NICU, um, after day 70, if he was awake, he was a screaming banshee. I mean, he was probably sensory overload, horrific reflux. He was, um, withdrawing from morphine. So he's basically like a drug baby. Yeah. And then, um, he probably had a raging migraine. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what he was going through. So, and we had no nursing. So for whatever we were living in Washington, DC at that point. So we had health insurance, but no one provided, you know, paid nursing. So we just came home. We had been trained, but it was just like, good luck. Here's your baby, you know? Yeah. And, um, it was so grueling. Like I can't even put into words, you know, my husband would just go, he had, he was going to work. Cause we just didn't know what the future held. We just didn't know, are we going to need to save our leave for the, for the next crisis? You know, cause we, they definitely said, you'll probably be in the hospital again. These babies are in and out of the hospital, you know, aspiration pneumonia. I mean, it, we were just bracing ourselves for what we didn't right. know what was ahead. And so honestly, in the, and the, especially the first six months, there was no way to, I mean, it was pure survival. And right. I remember laying in the dark of night, hearing the words dig deep. And, and I knew what that meant. I knew like I was going to have to dig to the core of my being as a human, not even as a mother, just like as a person who had a love for this child, you know, worthy of, he's so worthy of love and dignity and me caring for him is every, none of this was his fault. I remember just hearing in my head, this isn't his fault, you know, and it's not my fault. Like it just, it is what it is, but it, it took everything. I mean, I can't even tell you. My husband and I said very little to each other. We would try to go for walks in the neighborhood, like all the other cute first-time parents. No, Bennett would scream and wail the whole time as we got horrific looks from strangers. And then we would yes. just run back into our house, you know? And it, it was just, it, it it was shattering every dream we had ever had for parenthood. Um, yeah. And you were lonely, right? Yeah. And people wanted to help us, but there was not a thing anyone could do other than, I mean, friends sent gift cards to feed us because I mean, that was before DoorDash, but at least like, you know, a visa gift card could get you a sandwich at Subway, you know? And so that like caring for our basic needs in that way did feel like love from, from, from people from afar, but no, there was nothing. We didn't want visitors. I mean, we honestly just that's not that we were embarrassed, but we just were like anyone who walks into this house right now would, could not even believe what they would be saying. I mean, it was so, so hard. I totally feel you. I, I really appreciate what your early days were like, but then things got better and you decided to add to your family. And was that a hard decision for you? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you asked me that because I'm being asked that more and more. And I don't know if because we were young and um, well, first thing, my husband and I both came from families with our parents were married and we had three kids. And so that's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of was was modeled to us. And I don't know that after Bennett was born, we thought, oh, we're going to have three kids. But we knew we for sure wanted another yes. child. And so, um, so, you know, in our book, we talk about that journey, but we were in the DC area. And then um, my husband's from Nashville, Tennessee, which anyone who knows Nashville, it is a beautiful city with rolling hills and lots of farmland and peace and quiet, the opposite of Washington, DC. And so we needed an escape and we said, we are moving there. And so we did move there when Bennett was two. And um, so we were closer to my in-laws and um, 
it honestly was a time where healing did start to begin for me because as you know, at that point, physical therapy, I was working every day, Bennett, let's get, let's get you sitting up, sitting up, sitting up, stretching, stretching, stretching. Cause if you sit up, then you can stand up. If you stand up, then you can walk, you know, all of these milestones, but then, you know, into year two and then year three, I realized, okay, we're not sitting up, you know? And so I was kind of able to slowly grieve and mourn like, okay, if he's not sitting up, you know, I, I'm going to be pushing my son in a wheelchair probably for the rest of his life. He, he had no, he has no fine motor. So he couldn't even bring his hands together. He couldn't suck his thumb. He had no way to self-soothe. And so from mm-hmm. the moment we brought him home from the NICU, like we have been his soothing, his entertainment, you know, you name it. And, and many families can, you know, relate to that. And so, um, so I probably had a, you know, in the Hills of Tennessee, I was able to grieve um, some losses as I looked ahead you know, my husband, it was a lot harder. He was working full time. He was actually commuting back and forth from DC to Nashville for a while. And wow. he, um, you know, severe depression crept in, in a major, major way. And I know a lot of families can relate to that. Um, yeah. it's cause like you said, it can be so lonely. It can be so isolating. It can be so opposite of what you ever envisioned your life to be. And that is really overwhelming. And so, um, you know, my husband had suffered from really, really terrible migraines early on, long before kids and had always had pain meds to help his migraines. And honestly, they had sat in a shelf um, in our cabinet and he never even like touched them really. And then then it was born. He had a raging headache. He'd been awake for like 20 hours and he's like, I got to sleep. And um, he took one of those pain pills and it sure did help him sleep. And, you know, that kind of began for him a journey of prescription drug abuse and just how to cope with the feelings of a father as that father of a son with special needs. And then just the sole provider at that point, because I had completely quit my job and was not able to provide any financial contributions to the family. And so anyway, just the pressures and the reality of it all hit like a sledgehammer, I would say, um, into year probably two of Bennett's life. Um, and then help came in year three, which was a huge blessing in terms of just professionals and um, hospitalizations for Travis and some, some rehabilitation. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we found out we were pregnant with our second child. So all the the long answer to your question was we got pregnant with our second child amidst great, great, great crisis. Probably Travis would say other than Bennett's the day of his birth, you know, the, the lowest um, moment for him. And then we got one of our greatest gifts as, as, as the gift, uh, kind of the light at the end of the tunnel of suffering and Jackson, anyone who knows him is a really, really, really special young man. And just, you know, it was never his job to heal us or complete us or fill any gap that Bennett, you know, had left. But, you know, I think in God's goodness, like Jackson has really just healed crevices of our hearts that we didn't know, you know, just having a baby that we could rock to sleep and he would just fall asleep and you just lay him in his crib and he just goes to sleep and he ate everything you gave him. And he started walking in his 10 months, you know, just everything as opposite of an experience as it could be. And I think as a mother, I knew early on comparing them was never an option. Like I I didn't even want to, I mean, I, I, it was night and day. It, it, It was just, and so, um, you know, I think, and we we'll probably will get into talking more about siblings, but it, it is a unique experience having, um, obviously, a child with disabilities and siblings. And it's, it's kind of int- very, very or unique on steroids, having our oldest child with disabilities, because, you know, he's all my little two have ever known. You know, he's yes. the only big brother they've known. 
Um, and so that's both a gift and it's also what I'm learning as my, calling them my tweens now, you know, kind of new griefs are setting griefs, new losses are setting in for them, you know, of just like my 11 year old son wants a brother he can wrestle with, you know, my 11 year old son wants a brother he can go throw football with. And so as I'm, as their hearts are maturing, you know, yes. I'm almost seeing a new level of grief starting for them. And then as parents, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, reopening some, some wounds and, and, yeah. and on the heart. And so it is, we are learning as we go. I definitely am not an expert in any of this, but um, it's all really, really humbling. But in your family, how do you make sure that you have time for everybody? How do you handle yeah. that sibling question? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a top priority. I would say of my husband and I, to the point where we don't have much of a life. We don't have a lot of friends and we don't do a lot of what we've never done a lot of couple weekends away. I mean, that's just not realistic really for us, but, um, you know, I think, you know, um, it all, all the cliches are true. The days are long, the years are short. I mean, our kids' childhoods are slipping away. And so my husband, um, is super intentional about, you know, pouring into each of the kids and whatever their interests are. And those have, have ebbed and flowed. And right now we're really big into sports. And, you know, just last weekend was the first time I had my daughter at a basketball tournament in New Jersey. My husband was here, a doubleheader baseball game in Maryland. And we had Bennett who needed someone to care for him at home because he definitely didn't want to be in New Jersey. And he definitely didn't want to be outside of the baseball game for, you know, five hours. And so- right. It is honestly, um, we are learning as we go. We are definitely realizing it's most honoring to, uh, to everyone to let Bennett stay home. Bennett is happiest at home. We All we want is with, we want him with us everywhere we go. Cause it's like, we don't even feel like a complete family. I, I, we, my husband and I, when it's just us and the little two, like it's like, feels like we're like missing our arm. And so we want him with us, but he doesn't want to be with us. He really does not like most places other than his house, his school, his school bus and his van. And yeah. so honoring him is hiring sitters to stay with Bennett at home and where he is happy as can be. And then, and trying to do life to give our other two kids as quote unquote normal as of a childhood as possible, whatever that looks like, you know, I mean, right. some weekends we get it great and some weekends everyone's crying and you know, everyone's <laughs> feeling neglected. And yeah. you know, my, my son, my middle child literally one time said, I feel like I don't matter. And I was like, Oh, good God. You know, like, <laughs> What more can I do to tell you you matter? You know, I'm around you most days. So it's really, yeah, it is. It is. We are learning as we go. But I definitely think you know, keeping the um, keeping the conversations open with a little too of you know what. However, you're feeling is okay. If you're mad, be mad. You know, if you need to cry and you're sad that your brother can't wrestle with you, cry every tear you have. And I will sit right here with you. I mean, we've had some really, really raw moments and just letting them feel their feelings and they don't have to feel bad for that, you know, and, and not forcing them to suck it up because Ben, it's their brother. You know, they know Ben, it's their brother. They love him, but they also have very valid feelings and losses themselves. And so, yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned though, that you don't have much of a life yourself. So we all know that that's not okay. Right. But I this say that. Possible dream of, you know, doing self care. And I, I'll be honest with you, I came to this very, very late in the game. So I'm right there with you. I totally understand. But you know that somehow you have to fill that cup over and over again. How do you do it? How do you dig deep, as you said? <laughs> you know, 
I, I, I said that. I do. I do have like, I do have things that is my, my self-care. Now it, it would not, it, you probably think that's crazy. That is not self-care. But for me, most days, you know, my therapy or my centering is just a long walk, a long jog. Like that's how I clear my head. That's how I think through the day. That's how I plan for the next week. Um, I love a large cook from McDonald's. Everyone who knows me knows that. Like I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. I don't need just that is my one thing. And it needs to be real Coke and not diet. Um, and that goes back to when Bennett was a screaming, screaming, screaming banshee. I would feed him, change him, make sure he was alive and breathing. I would strap him in his car seat and we would go hit a drive through you know? I did was, that too. Yes. I mean, drive throughs are a real gift for special needs families. Oh I, my I, God, I, yes. You don't have to get anyone out. You just, they're safe, they're contained, and you have a little time to just chill. Um and, you know, I have really, really great friends and I'm actually very social and, and, and whatever way I can sneak it in. I mean, I have some night owl friends who will come sit on my porch at 10 PM, you know? And, and so yeah. it's, um, you know, I guess I should say we don't have an exciting life because we don't travel much, you know, that's just something that is not feasible right now. I hope it will be one day. We, we want to take our kids to the Grand Canyon, you know, we want to take them to Europe. I mean, but it's just right now. Um, yeah, we're not there yet. So, so how do you find caregivers? Everybody wants to know that secret, right? That because Bennett, like so many of our kids, I mean, it's it's a lot easier when they're babies, even when they're screaming, because they're easy to walk around the house and rock and everything else. But as they get older, man, it gets more challenging to think about a 14-year-old who's incontinent and needing to clean them and, you know, do all of the other stuff. And then there's all the medical scary stuff, too. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I feel like even coming out of COVID, it's even more of a crisis. Obviously nursing, there's a huge nursing shortage. And I, my heart, I just, I'm like, we are in such, we're in so many crises right now, but wow, we, we need to start churning out some nurses straight from high school. And anyway, yeah. that's a whole nother soapbox. But I would say, um, we have been very fortunate. We are um, in Montgomery County Public Schools here in Maryland, and they have we have a really great school for Bennett, and it's all, 100% kids with disabilities. And I know a lot of people are all about inclusion, 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 but for certain kids, I am like, you know what? <laughs> inclusion is not what's always most honoring and best. And so right. I love his school is all kids with disabilities. And we've had just a wonderful staff. And to be honest, through the years, he's been there since he was three, and he can stay till he's age 21. And so through the years, we've met some gems, you know, and, and they're not all gems, but when we have found one, um, you know, you kind of have to finesse that because I don't think they're supposed to babysit, but whatever, you know, like yeah. there's, there's, there's one or two that we have just, um, he love. I mean, he loves the sound of their voice. I mean, it's just, and so they, we, we, they help us with babysitting. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's family other than that, you know, we have sweet, sweet friends who's, you know, kids, obviously I don't need them to come, you know, change Bennett, but if they can just come sit in the house in case it burns down, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, there's been some really sweet kids who want to go into special ed or things like that, who are, who are willing, comfortable to come sit with Bennett. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. We do also have some really incredible respite programs around here. One of which is a place called Jill's house. Um, and they offer overnight respite for kids with disabilities so that families can have like 40, 48 hour breaks over the weekend. And then actually mm -hmm. they do it during the, the week. And 
Um, and they're and they're growing across the country. And I think that is going to be talk about a growing niche um, as so many more of these kids yes. are surviving, right? Medical as medical technology in, improves and so many more kids are surviving like Bennett, which I'm, we are grateful for, but we, we have to, we've got to have the, the support. Yeah. The services network. have to keep up with that. Right. And y'all just so you know, Kelly's donating a percentage of all her proceeds from her book to Jill's house. Yes. So that's Please. so generous of you. Oh my gosh. Well, they have been so generous to us. They're fantastic, remarkable, not-for-profit. There are people coming in actually from all around the country to see what they're doing and trying to, to recreate it because they, anyway, it's a long story, but um, the family who founded Jill's house, they had a, a daughter who was typically developing and then around um, age three, this is Lon and Brenda Solomon. Um, we can I can send you his website. He's an incredible man, but She's their daughter started having seizures and then the seizures just completely debilitated her. I don't even remember the name of her um, condition. And so they, they had people who were able to help them with their older three sons and their little girl, Jill, but they said, this is not sustainable and other families need help. And so they had to go to Israel. Israel had a respite type home that they wanted to model this after. So they go to Israel, they take notes, they come back, they raise like or $13 million. And they built Jill's house, jillshouse.org. And anyone who wants to visit, oh, you have to visit the website. It's just, it's inspiring on every level. And to me, I think what is most inspiring about it is they're most generous because it's all self, it's all privately funded. They don't get any government money that I'm aware of. Um, And and most of their donors don't have kids with disabilities. Like it's people who either have a family member or a friend or a coworker who walked alongside and saw the challenges, the pain, the everything. And they just, they feel so helpless and they're just like, we want to help these people. And so they give money to Jill's house and Jill's house was able to sweep in. They take care of the kids. They offer the family's rest, but, but another yeah. beautiful thing they do is sibling. So they'll have a sibling night. So my two tip, typical quote unquote, typical kids can go to Jill's house. They get to swim, have fun, eat pizza. And then at the end, They'll sit everybody down and just have a little chit chat of like, hey, guys, how does it feel when you go to a restaurant and your brother, you know, has, yeah. a, has a fit, you know, and just I remember the first time my kids came home and they were like, oh, mommy, you know, listen to this. And I could just tell the ease they felt being around other people who were like, yeah, me too. Right. The most powerful two words in the English dictionary are me too. Just being yeah. understood, you know, and so. Um, I, my, it is my hope and prayer that more Jill's houses will, you know, come up across the country. I know there's a bunch of respite programs really through the arc and things like that, but, um, yeah, it, it, it is a dire need for families. There's no doubt. That's incredible. Just so awesome. I love it. Oh, I have so many things to ask you, but I'm running out of time. So I need to make sure that I ask you the few, you know, really most important things that I want to make sure that we get out. Um, so you already talked about your relationship with your husband and how you both grieved in different ways. How did you come back together on the same page? Sure. Um, I think the only word for that is grace, right? And I think the definition of grace is getting something that you don't deserve, you know, or whatever, pouring out. I don't even, I've, I've totally messed up that definition, but, you know, I think my husband and I, you know, have been on completely different paths in terms of our grieving, our acceptance and our let's go, you know, and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 our, the foundation is our faith a hundred percent, you know, yeah. to us, divorce really was never an option. I don't even, we wouldn't have had the energy for it, honestly, for so long. I mean, we had three kids in diapers for like almost four years. It was bananas. Um, and so, 
<laughs> he he would leave though to go to work and I would say please come home and he would just look at me and laugh and some days I was like I don't know if he's gonna come home and why would he this is a nut house yeah so like I I think trying to have a sense of humor 100% um you know faith humor grace and and just allowing um each other to be human you know as we pour out as we you know celebrate Bennett's humanity you know I think I've always tried to have an awareness of Travis's humanity as a man, as a father, as a provider, as a, you know, you name it, you know, same with my two kids, you know, my middle son's humanity, you know, this is really hard. And some, some days it's okay. And then some days it feels really, really heavy and same with my daughter. And so I just think, I think life's all about expectations, you know, and um, not setting the bar low. I mean, it's, it's not about you know, no, we had no. to have some really, believe me, I mean, we've done therapy. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm here to say therapy is awesome. Really, really raw and brutal, honest conversations are great. I mean, I think that's, that's what a relationship yeah. is. If you can't be honest with each other, then good luck, you know? And so um, I just think it's a little bit of everything, but, but really the core being like divorce first was not an option. And, 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 um, and that when we got, you know, up against the wall and cornered and it looked like there was no hope, you know, we got help. Yeah. And I think, you know, he was always willing to get help. And for that, I'm so grateful. That's awesome. There's no sweeping the stuff under the rug. It just comes back up to nip you in the butt when you do that. So you've got to turn and face it. That's the only way to go for sure. Well, and letting a lot go. I mean, I remember I would get so annoyed when he would change Bennett's diaper a different way or set up his feeding tube not the way I did it. And I was like, yes, I mean, it's those little things that I'm like, I I would even say there is a method to my madness. Like, I know you think I'm crazy, but I do this, this, and this, because this, this, and this. And in my head, it all made sense. And he would just look at me like, will you just chill? Because like, he was still able to get done what needed to be done. It just wasn't my way. And so, yeah, with maturity, I realized you're right. Like we're both getting to the same point. Kelly, so much of that is just fear, though. Right. When we are going through this and we're raising our kids, the, the things that we can control, we want to control. And I can control how I do this diaper change, mm-hmm. you know? And so the panic sets in when things go different because you still want to have that control. I totally understand. And he didn't get it because he was controlling his world in a different way. And so when you start seeing each other, like you said, acknowledging that humanity, that's where things can start to come clean and move forward. It's, it's a, such a beautiful story and it's not over yet because you're still continuing on as a family. We are, we are. And yeah, I know it might be weird that I wrote a book right now too. I remember asking the publisher is now the time our story isn't over. We're smack dab. I mean, who even knows? We don't even know what's ahead. But, you know, I really felt coming out of 2020 and 2021, which we all know what that has looked like, um, you know, especially living here in D.C. where there was so much fear, anger, judgment, you name it. Everyone was fighting with each other in every way, shape and form. Um, I just felt my gut was like, we have a story of hope. It is, does not end, quote unquote, perfectly. And it is not tied up in a, in a red ribbon. You know, you got a car, you got a car, you got a car. Everybody's great. No, like, but you know, I have friends who are like, can I just come by your house and hang out with Bennett? He just makes me feel so good. I mean, he's just this little pure piece of heaven that we get to live with. And I, and I say that like with the utmost genuine heart, like we, we we're so grateful we get to be with him and we have him and we want to share him with the world. And so long story short, our publisher is not Christian and our publisher 
had never done a book about a special needs family. And I sent, I didn't even have a manuscript and, and it's a, and it's a hybrid publisher partnership, but basically I sent them a paragraph and he just, the owner said, well, you just keep writing. Here we go. You know, and they, they just have done nothing but support it. And they've, they've seen like this book can really, really touch the world. You don't have to have a child with disabilities. Like, yes, we all deal with pain, whether it be cancer, divorce, Alzheimer's, you know, you name it. Like there's so much pain in the world and, yes. and yet there is hope and there are good people along the way. And I think just trying to look for the good and open our eyes to the people who are literally coming um, across our paths is something that has really, really been such a gift to us and, and has benefited us by just shifting that perspective instead of being like, I, I mean, this is, like I said, this is crazy town USA, like the people who are in and out and da da da, you know, and, you know, as we were interviewing night nurses, we needed someone to care for Bennett while he was fed via G tube overnight. You know, we're like letting complete strangers in our home, you know, of who may see my husband walk through the kitchen in his boxers, you know, and you're just like, what planet am I living yeah. on? And this is so bananas. Yes. But yeah, here we are. And guess what? Two of our night nurses are literally, they call me their sister. I mean, we, we, I talk to them more than anyone. I talk to them more than my mom, you know, it's just like, what a gift that we, we never would have met them had it not been for Bennett. So anyway, there's just so much. No, I've met so many great people through my Elizabeth. And I'll tell you after she passed away, I miss those people so much. I I bet you do. And I used to, I used to be you know, so annoyed that I never could have a minute in my house to myself. There were always people around, but I miss them so much, you know, even now, nine years later, it's incredible um, how much they add to the conversation. And by the way, nurses rock, man. Oh, amen. Could not live without them. They are completely unsung heroes. I mean, doctors are fine too, but the nurses (laughs) are the ones they do all the work. They really have great instincts. They are, and I've met a few not so great nurses, but for the most part, overwhelmingly, they saved our lives over yes. and over again. I totally agree completely. So last question really is about the book. What was this turning point for you where you decided, well, I just have to write a book, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly... So, you know, like I said, like we had a little diddly uh, website, then we had blogs when blogs were big in like 2008, 2009. And I would try and kind of write about our story. And, you know, people were always so kind, you know, wow, you're, you know, you're such a good writer, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're just saying that to be nice, you know, and, and I, I'm an accountant. I just like spreadsheets. I'm really quite a nerd. And so, <laughs> um, you know, but my gut has always said, I know a lot of people who have been through the NICU. In fact, I was so naive. I remember hearing, okay, Bennett's being transported to the NICU. He'll be there a few days and then we'll go home. I mean, I didn't know anyone who had gone to the NICU and not gone home. You know, I mean, it just shows how just really, you know, completely foolish I was heading into motherhood. And so I just realized obviously during, after, and, you know, 10 to 15 years post NICU of like, I'm pretty sure our NICU story is somewhat unique slash extra dramatic slash just something that perhaps not the average person could, could ever even imagine would happen. You know, I mean, we almost watched our baby bleed to death, you know, in front of us surrounded by doctors and nurses and, and there was nothing we could do. You know, it was just the most helpless feeling imaginable as I know you have felt, but so anyway, I started, and then I reached out to this, uh, to Ballast Books, who's our publisher. They were hundred percent on, on, 
you know, they were like, yes. So I just started writing all of them the first six months of 2021. And I wish I was a morning person. So many people get up early and drink their coffee at 5 a.m. and write, 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 write before their kids wake up. That was not me. Like, I'm a night owl. So basically the book was written between like 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. My, my husband would be like, how late were you up last night? I'd be like 3 a.m. He's like, you're unbelievable. You know, and, and yeah. it's true. Like, I don't even know how it happened, but like it did. And, and we had wonderful editors and we have, we have received such incredible feedback that all I can say is it, I just was like, many times we don't, we need to, we don't need to do this. Why are we doing this? Are we trying to get, you know, attention on us? We don't want attention on us. Are we exploiting Bennett? We don't want to exploit Bennett, you know? And then we were just like, we think God wants this book to happen because every time we tried to stop it, the publisher was like, press on, you know? Yeah. Really, That's the thing. Like Bennett is God's child. Like we are just the blessed ones who get to take care of him along the way. And so that's where I hope people will, if, you, if you're not a person of faith and we have many friends who are, like, I just hope people will be encouraged and maybe think, huh, you know, like none of this is by coincidence, you know, they're, they're, and right. so um, I just hope it's an inspiration and an encouragement, like, and especially to our special needs caregivers and parents, like you're not alone. We see you. Um, we have a website, hopeintheheartache.com. I would love, and uh, we have like it's a beautiful. place to reach out. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thank you. The we have a place. are tremendous. Oh, thank you. Did I you was, take um, those pictures yourself? No, we have an, an incredible local photographer who I can't even tell you, we've never had a family picture where Bennett was looking up. And that day he was looking up the whole time. Because as we know, for our kids, it, just to fight gravity, to keep his yeah. head up is such a workout but it was like the stars aligned. And um, yeah. so like that, even we got a picture. And I remember when we were trying to figure out what the cover of the book should be, our publisher said, well, you know, if you're not a celebrity, like you never put a picture of yourself on the, on the cover, you know, only like Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and whoever else puts their face on a cover. And I was like, absolutely. You know, we are nobodies. And um, then we were trying to figure out what are we going to do for the cover? Da, 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 da. You're praying hands, you know, and then all of a sudden, Katie took this picture and then I sent it to the publisher and I was like, I don't know. What do you think? He's like, that's it. And I'm like, but we're not celebrities. He goes, that is the cover. And I think just, you know, just seeing Bennett smile and just, um, yeah, he's just the center of our universe. And, um, anyway, he's changes for the better is all I can say. And we are so grateful for that. We were, you know, not even 30 when he was born and was like, immediately nothing, nothing mattered, you know, keeping up right. with the Jones, getting the big house, perfectly furnishing it, driving the yes. nice car. None of that matters when your baby can't breathe, you know, not my clothes. I wanted to burn. I had a designer, you know, diaper bag. I wanted to burn it, you know, cause I thought I was planning my baby's funeral. I, I just, I was sick at how, you know, just, and there's nothing wrong with all of that, but I, I was just so sick. That's my Bennett. Oh, my Bennett. <laughs> this is mom. Um, but anyway. Oh, my goodness, mom. <laughs> yeah, he's like, hello. It's been an hour. We're done with this interview um, already. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we love him. That's the, that's the moral of the story. He's such a gift. And we mean it from the bottom of our heart. So. Well, we are so glad you wrote this book. Because telling our stories is very important. And not everybody can. Not everybody really, you know, has it within them. So those of us that can share so that the rest of us don't feel so alone, it's so important. So listen, um, audience, I'm going to have all of Kelly's connections, social media connections, as well as her website posted in the show notes and also where you can go to get the book so that you can read this book. It's 
it really is heartwarming. I mean, it's sad and scary in places for <laughs> sure, but you know, the, there really is this whole idea that our kids change our point of view on what it means to be a successful family, a successful person, you know, because Bennett, like my Elizabeth, I mean, he's never going to be president. He's not going to be, uh, you know, an award-winning journalist. He is not going to, uh, you know, play basketball with the Knicks. Like, but it is what it is. He is this beautiful person. He's mm -hmm. very successful. He draws people into him. He has relationships, mm -hmm. right? It just changes your perspective on that idea of success. Like you were saying with your diaper bag and that perfect, you know, vision that you've had. Yeah. He's all the perspective we didn't know we needed, you know, and, and it, it's, it's just, what a gift for us to learn that at the age of 30. Now it probably took until the age of 40 for us to fully accept that and see that yeah. as a good thing. So let's be honest, it hasn't been an easy road to acceptance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just their smile. Sorry, you're hearing his cry, but their <laughs> smile, his belly laugh, you know, I mean, just holding those that we love, you know, being able to, to wrap our arms around them and hug them and love them and, I mean, it, it's all that there is to life that matters, you know, and that's the thing. It's just, you know, we do the sports with our kids and, you know, if one, if one of ours wants to grow up and go to med school or law school, yay. But if you don't, yay, you know, it's just like it ripped away. Like you said, like any expectations <laughs> that we, you know, held for our kids and honestly how freeing for us and hopefully for my little two, as they grow up, like how freeing for them, like literally yes. here's the world go see and do, um, we'll be, we'll be behind you the entire way. And yeah. um, we push them in it and cheering for you, you know, it's kind of the way we look at it. So I love it. This has been so great. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We have to let you get back to Bennett. We can hear how much he wants you to come. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm honestly so honored to be with your, you and your community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I was just going to hope in the heartache.com is our website. And if you want a signed copy of the book, you can order one there and I'll send it to you this week. And I'm, I'm signing them and sending those directly, but you can also get an Amazon Barnes and Noble. Target. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm yeah. going to go ahead and do that. Do that. I'm happy. Oh, please do. And yes, I would be happy to sign one and send one to you. I'd be honored. I love so, it. Yes. And I'd love to meet Bennett someday. Well, if you're in North Carolina, we can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That Thank is not too far. You. I go right through where you are every time we go back and forth to Massachusetts. So I, I do. make oh, an yeah. appointment to come and visit you. Please, we live right off of the Beltway. I want to so bring you honored. a big McDonald's Coke. So that I mean, we are instant <laughs> friends. <laughs> Thank, All right. you, Thank so you so much, Kelly. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.